everybody's got their own unique experience of riding, whether it's they just like being outside. For many of Harley's riders, it's a social thing. There's people that have said, you know, I, if it weren't for motorcycling, I wouldn't have met my wife and started my family. And so it, change, it literally changes people's lives, but it's, it really is about the people. And, you know, the good thing is that everybody knew all the way up to the top of leadership as the museum was being built, you can't build it strictly for just the riders alone. You've got to have things there for, you know, there's these amazing stories of Harley's successes and survival. And I think one of the greatest compliments, and I've heard it repeatedly from people as they're leaving or they leave comments online and they say, I've never been on a motorcycle in my life. I may never be on a motorcycle in my future, but I really took something away from this. There was, there was a story that really resonated with me. My name is Bill Jackson and I'm the manager of Archives and Heritage Services for Harley-Davidson Motor Company. The Harley-Davidson Archives, I always say it's the memory of the company. That's what any archives is. Um, but we are the department that keeps the actual history and we're talking about, of course, the motorcycles that many have come to be familiar with now. This amazing collection of motorcycles that was started by the founders of Harley-Davidson and then of course many other materials um, just about anything you can imagine there's film and video uh, vintage riding apparel Harley-Davidson apparel there's racing trophies and lots of different samples of general merchandise boxes and boxes and drawers of old marketing ephemera going back to the earliest years of the company posters and point-of-sale pieces and motorcycle brochures and parts catalogs and service literature, you name it, and we make, try to make sure that it's there and that it's safe. Actually, one of my favorite things was not generated by the company. They're motorcycle trade magazines and bicycle industry trade magazines going back to 1900 that it's just an absolutely rich, rich source of information. You can get lost in them. You can go into some of these materials. Um, looking for one thing and then you get pulled into something else that's just fun or amazing or something you didn't know. So it's, I, I've always loved research, so it's kind of a, it's a real buzz. Uh, but yeah, it's a treasure trove. You know, there's companies out there that would give anything to have the stories that we have. I knew many years ago I wanted to be a professional archivist. Uh, one of my chief passions has always been history. I knew I was not teaching material, and I still know that I'm not teaching material. I tried it once and um, got that confirmed. I was in graduate school at the School of Information Studies at UW-Milwaukee, and my advisor said, you really should do a field work. And he said, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to get out of it? And I had previously done um, an internship at Kraft Foods at their archives in suburban Chicago. I said, I love business history, and I would, you know, if there's anything available in Milwaukee, I would love to give it a look. And he said, well, it turns out that Harley-Davidson has a relatively young archive program, and they're looking for an intern, and they just jumped at it. And that was 1995. And the archives, the, uh, they did not have the budget to hire me at that time, but we stayed in touch, and it was amicable. So I went off and got my first professional job at Circus World Museum in Baraboo, Wisconsin, in their library and archives. When I was um, working at Circus World, I was dating my girlfriend from graduate school who remained in Milwaukee, and we would split time. She would come to Baraboo, and I would come to Milwaukee. And one day, I was visiting her in Milwaukee, and I knew that my supervisor from 
Harley-Davidson lived a few blocks away, and my girlfriend and I are sitting in the living room watching TV. And who goes walking in front of the house but my manager from Harley and his wife, they're out for a walk. So I got my coat on and I ran outside and I said, hey, Marty, it's Bill Jackson. He's like, what are you doing here? And I said, well, my girlfriend lives here. And we got to talking and he said, I've been trying to get a hold of you. What, what's your phone number? Where do you live? And I gave it to him and I said, what's up? And he said, we're looking for an archivist. And I, we really liked you back when you were an intern here and we wanted to reach out to, to you to see if you would apply. Well, of course, I gave that about a split second of thought and I gave him my phone number. And um, So in the January of 1998, I started as um, archivist for Harley-Davidson. A few years ago, we acquired what uh, is arguably the first thing, the earliest thing in the collection that pertains to our specific history, which is an engineering drawing done by William Harley for parts used in a bicycle motor. And we had known it was out there. And uh, the owner contacted us and said that he felt it was time for it to come to the museum. So that's really, I guess I could say jokingly, but kind of the Rosetta Stone or I don't know what you'd compare it to, but one of the, you know, the really foundational things of the collection. That specific drawing was in the possession of the widower of uh, a woman who was a descendant of William Harley. So it was in the family. And uh, he had approached us after she had passed away. And he said, you know, she would want it to come here to Harley-Davidson. Um, and things like that have come through family members. Uh, just in the last few years, things have been acquired from Willie G. Davidson that go back to his, you know, ancestors. And so we already knew it was there and we knew it was real. So things like verification really were not that big a deal, but you, you always check everything out. The majority of the collection, uh, I'll start with the motorcycles, is from the company itself. And these are motorcycles that never left the possession of Harley. And we tell people on tours that some of these bikes have barely use beyond the roll test that they got when they left the assembly line. Other motorcycles might have a hundred and some miles on them just from having been pushed from one spot to another over their life. And then a lot of the documents and film and video, not all of it, but the vast majority of it were things that were generated by the company itself. It really is amazing. Uh, you know, the founders, we know as early as 1919, possibly earlier, they were actively and consciously making this decision that they were going to keep at least one motorcycle from each model year. Um, there is evidence that they would use these bikes for, I would call gentle experimentation, um, for things like new, possibly new part fitment. Um, but so we don't know the actual why, but we know it in 1919, they went to the Chicago motorcycle show and they wanted to, I think the language in the magazine ad is come see the evolution of our products in the modern era or something like that. Um, it was actually appeared in a magazine. There were no pictures, but it was like, we're gonna bring our new model year, but we're actually gonna bring, bring a retrospective of what was at that time a 16 year old company. So it's just, the foresight is amazing. And it's, we always call it like a gift that we've been given because their successors actually did the same thing. They kept it going after the last of the founders was gone. Um, and I've even talked to people, including ex retired executives in the modern era, who said, you know, that specific bike is here because I made sure that the company hung on to it. So it's, it's a lot like your family history. You know, you're, you're at the mercy of what people decided to keep and save. 
uh, we're just super grateful for it because you would be surprised how many companies have not done something like this. It's absolutely a testament to kind of, you, you can find evidence that the founders really kind of viewed the employees and the riders almost more like family. Uh, one story that's emerged is that, you know, Arthur Davidson took it upon himself to build up the dealer network. And whenever possible, when a dealer and possibly his wife were visiting Milwaukee, if it was possible, Arthur and his wife made sure to put them up at the house because they felt that they should have home-cooked food and this kind of thing. It's just amazing. Um, and we also try to collect when and where possible great stories from our riders. And they, you know, there's corporate archives that are out there, but uh, I don't think any of them try to document document their customers' experience. And we do try to do it. Of course, you can't get it all. Uh, you can't have every story. And um, But people have offered us some amazing stuff over the years, and we're thrilled to have it. I'll never forget, um, possibly still my favorite story to this day is um, shortly after the museum opened in 2008, I believe it was either the Juno switchboard or the museum switchboard called and said, I have a guy on the phone. He says he's Arthur H. Davidson. And I knew who he was. And I said, put him through, put him through, put him through. <laughs> and uh, Arthur, his middle name was Harley. His name was Arthur Harley Davidson. Um, and he had appeared in a couple of documentaries, at least up to that time. So we knew who he was. He was the son of the founding Arthur Davidson. And so if you're sitting there doing the math in your head, you're saying, wait a minute, this is 2008 and Arthur Davidson's son is still alive. And the answer is yes. He was 94 years old. Amazing guy to talk to. And he said, you might know who I am. And I said, yeah, definitely. And um, he said, if you wouldn't mind coming out to my house, I've got some old junk. He actually used the word junk that I'd like you to look at. And if you want it, you can have it for your museum. I was waiting for you to open your museum. And at this point, you know, your heart's beating and um, I'm like, give me your address. <laughs> and uh, so I drove out to his house and just beyond like the fact that he had this amazing stuff to offer us, just a great guy to talk to. He's upbeat and he was, um, he had these great observations and he was funny. He had a great sense of humor um, and he had photos of, for one example was, um, we knew that the founders had a cabin. One of the founders had a cabin near Lake Ripley, which is near Cambridge, Wisconsin. And for those who don't know, that's near Madison, Wisconsin, the capital. It's just west of Milwaukee. And it was a photo of the founders hanging out at this cabin on Lake Ripley. So you just like, where else could have we could we have gotten that from kind of thing? But he had the passports that his father and mother used to travel internationally in the early 20th century. And we already knew the story of Arthur Davidson taking it upon himself to build up a dealer network. And to this day, Harley has this dealer network that really nobody has ever matched in the motorcycle world. So in some of the past, and we're talking about traveling like to Europe in the 1910s, uh, traveling to the South Pacific in the 1920s. Uh, one of them is like Tasmania, Australia, and um, several other countries. Like how long does it take to get to Australia from Milwaukee in 1924, my gosh. A few months later, he found the time to come to the museum and he, uh, several family members came with him. And um, for those who've been to the museum, there's a gallery devoted to the birth of the dealer network and this just really aggressive plan to have this wide ranging footprint worldwide, by the way, not just domestically, but in countries outside the US. And he said, do you know why my father did all that? And I said, I don't know the specific reason. I just assumed it was just a visionary move on his part. And he said, that was a part of it, but he said, my mom and dad love to travel. So they're traveling America, they're traveling the world, 
they're while he's getting a chance, he's recruiting field salespeople. He's recruiting new dealers personally. Um, there's not a small number of dealers from our early history who were personally recruited by Arthur Davidson. So what's that like? Just knowing that, you know, would Harley still be here today were it not for the fact that one of the founders and his wife loved to travel? If you were to really spend time with the materials that we have in the archives, one of the things you're going to find is that people telling their own stories down through history. Uh, for those who know Harley Davidson, for many, many decades, there was a magazine called The Enthusiast. In virtually any issue that you open, you can find people describing riding in their own words. And often with the very, very older era, with the um, earlier years, you'll find a lot of the same things from an emotional perspective that people will often talk about today. Uh, you know, getting to see the Rocky Mountains or just whatever, or, you know, getting that feeling of getting away and not feeling tethered to kind of your normal life that just seems to show up again and again and again. I know it's one of the things I get out of motorcycling is that getting away thing. Um, I know on my current motorcycle, you, you have the capability of having text messages from your cell phone forwarded to your um, infotainment system, and I actually leave that shut off. I would rather not get text messages when I'm out riding, frankly. I have one bike. I'm not a collector. I have got a 2020 Ultra Limited. Um, and it's, for me, I went through a fairly stressful period in my life about three years ago. I've been riding for 22 years. Um, but three years ago, it just motorcycling moved into the number one slot in my life as a de uh, decompressor, a de-stressor. Um, and I can't exactly tell you why. I just know that after even a short ride, I feel differently. Um, there's something about just a, a more of a mental clarity and a little bit more relaxed. Can I explain it to you why I really can't? And maybe it's different for different people. I don't know if it's the motion. Um, I do like being outdoors in nice weather. In the really cold weather, those of you who know Wisconsin, though, you cannot ride 12 months out of the year unless you're crazy. And I will fly to warmer climates in the winter and I will take advantage of the Eagle Rider rental. And, and you get to explore new things. You know, I discovered only just recently how gorgeous the mountains in Arizona are. I mean, there's some stunning rides through Arizona and I want to keep that going. The Harley Museum is definitely not strictly for motorcyclists. There's this context in this history of Harley worldwide, uh, the different types of economic situations that Harley's been through, and of course all the people that make Harley, because it's really a museum more about people than it is about vehicles. But um, it's also, there's interactives, because like motorcycles themselves, it's there's this um, sensory thing, there's an elemental thing and there's a lot of things that are fun because I've always said you know motorcycle one of the chief things about riding motorcycles is that it's fun um, not every museum gets to document something that's fun it's really such a unique story because when you look at the history of Harley or the history of motorcycles we don't even know how many motorcycles have come how many motorcycle manufacturers have come and gone it's from 1903 to 2020 we think it's something like just domestically, like 150 or 160 different companies came and went. And we've actually got a, a document that, to our, the best of our ability, covers that. And you're talking about motorcycle companies in some cases that lasted 
a year, two years. Some of them lasted much longer. But what I always come back to is why are we still here? And if you go through these interactives and listen to some of the audio, there's an audio tour. What, what I hope people take away is here's why Harley survived and here, that it is an amazing story. And we didn't have to survive. Uh, there's some moments in history where if you really sat down with the materials and read through it, you're like, my gosh, <laughs> how did they make it through this? In the time that I've been with Harley, specifically the year 2008 was when the move took place. Um, and it was really kind of, if you were to break it down, it was in two main phases. So it's, it's nerve wracking when you move a collection like this or when you oversee it, there's times that you sweat the details and you sweat it down to the point where if you think you've been over something three times, you go over it a fourth time. There's a lot of other things about, you know, access, like you have to explain to people, please wait until you get to that final gallery to sit on the bikes because that's what they're there for. They're, all of these other bikes, we don't let people sit on, you know, it's just, they're so precious and they're, they're so rare because one of the things about the motorcycle collection is a very high number of the bikes that people see in the museum are completely original, unrestored. You're seeing that bike with the original paint that it left the factory in in the 1920s and 30s. Um, there's so many examples where you'd be hard hard pressed to find a better example of that bike. And that's why they're so, it's really like a level up from just any other antique Harley because the company has always owned it. And it's again, completely original in many, many cases. People do approach us, um, I would say, at least on a weekly basis, sometimes it's even daily, whether it's a motorcycle or something else. But people do reach out to us and there's a couple of different ways they can do that. Uh, the one thing we discourage is people just showing up at the museum unexpectedly, because uh, we're not always ready for that. But uh, And surprise, we've had people offer us straight up donations, as in they don't want any money for it. And we have actually turned some of those down just because of duplication. Uh, if we already have a represent, if we've got a bike that represents whatever that person's bike represents, we we're not out to corner the market. Um, that's the way museums should work. It's it's not about like hoarding, so to speak. It's about um, having one of something, and it's you've got that representation. And we tell people, you know, please hang on to it or find someone else, or we can direct you to others. Literally later today, I will be reaching out to somebody who is offering us an amazing motorcycle for sale, but we already have one. And we actually know of a museum internationally that wants that bike and they don't know. So we're going to connect that gentleman to that museum. And hopefully that works out great. But um, if it is something that fills a gap for us, then we open up a conversation. Uh, sometimes in a couple cases, bikes have come to us because they had just an amazing story. And uh, we knew, like, we, we've got to find a way to work this out. And people um, are thrilled to know that we're going to hang on to those things and preserve them. I often tell people that, you know, the Harley-Davidson Museum and the archives is the keeper of the memory of Harley-Davidson. Um, I had a great quote, actually, from a boss that I had before I came to Harley said, just imagine if you woke up tomorrow morning and you had no memory. You know, you didn't know where your car keys were. You didn't know where you worked. And so we take memory for granted. Um, but that's really an archives is memory of 
all of us, you know, not just Harley, the company, but um, the employees. Um, and I even tell people on tours very commonly, you know, if you've got your own history of your experience as a Harley rider, it's fine if you offer it to us, the company. It's fine if you don't, but make sure you hang on to it. And I tell them, you know, get your elders on video. Get it, you know, get your iPhone out, get your, your video camera out, your cell phone out. Ask them to tell their story and hang on to that. And even if you just keep it for yourself, make sure you're doing that because that's, if you don't do it, you're going to regret it later. 